This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I am your host, PWI Senior Writer Al Castle. Going to be joined in a moment by my co-host, fellow senior writer, Dan Murphy, and we're going to have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, obviously coming off a very newsworthy weekend in the world of pro wrestling in between the Royal Rumble, and for the first time, we got two Royal Rumbles uh, to talk about with the men's and the women's, uh, both being very newsworthy, and obviously the uh, the biggest headline coming out of the weekend <coughs> in terms of uh, mainstream news uh, is the, the uh, debut of one Ronda Rousey at the end of the uh, the Royal Rumble, uh, and a lot more uh, came out of the weekend with um, NXT TakeOver and what I think is the best WWE match in uh, many, many years, and uh, now WrestleMania is is shaping up. We're starting to get a picture of what uh, WrestleMania New Orleans is going to look like, and uh, some other news to note, so we're going to touch on that uh, in a moment. Uh, then at the end of the show here, we're going to uh, hear from the Ring of Honor heavyweight champion, one Dalton Castle. Uh, now, this is an older interview that I conducted uh, some weeks or months back um, for a feature mag- uh, a feature in the previous uh, issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and uh, kind of been sitting on it, uh, have it there on the shelf, and finally get to put it to use. And given what's happened with him and his career since this interview uh, was conducted, I think it's it is pretty uh, newsworthy um, him becoming Ring of Honor Heavyweight Champion, and we and we talk a bit about. Uh, the prospects of that happening and, and what his uh, future had in store for him. So uh, a fun interview. <coughs> Forgive me, I'm a little under the weather. Um, and uh, as I said, that interview or parts of it is in, are the feature in the previous issue of PWI. And the current issue of PWI is the April 2018 issue. And uh, joining me Matt, joining me now to talk a bit about it is Dan Murphy. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing well. Doing, uh, doing, doing very well. Happy to be here for another episode of the PWI podcast. Absolutely. And uh, why don't you tell readers a little bit about uh, this next issue? Is it the April issue? I believe it is. It, well, it's the year in review issue. So it's the annual awards issue and, and you know, look back at everything that was 2017. So, uh, yeah, that one is on newsstands now. And uh, it's a really nice issue. Made some changes this year from previous years. Um, including some of the top 10, I think the top 10 stories of the year, a uh, little change to the year in review format, but still the unofficial awards, the official uh, PWI Achievement Awards, and all the other stuff you've come to know and expect and, and like about that issue. And uh, it looks great. Yeah, yeah. I got my hard copy over the last week, um, so great to flip through it. And, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, it's got the Achievement Awards, Rookie of the Year, Rookie of the year Inspirational Wrestler of the Year, <clears throat> most improved comeback woman feud of the year most popular wrestler of the year most hated wrestler of the year match of the year tag team of the year wrestler wrestler of the year and uh, of course the stanley weston uh, lifetime achievement award uh you got the whole year in review the top 10 stories the unofficial official awards uh memories of 2017 from the pwi staff an absolutely jam-packed issue uh, our wrestler of the year aj styles is on the cover uh for the yeah, second year Jay. The, never forget the, the cartoons at the end from Mr. J. His, oh, yeah. Works, uh, Mr. J has been creative. on my uh, like dream guest list here since we started the podcast, and I've exchanged some emails uh, with him. He's in Australia, so, so the complication's yeah. always been kind of figure out the timing. 
Um, but he's always said he's up for it, and, and one day we'll figure out how to do it. It might mean me being up in the middle of the night. And I'm Yeah, we've we got to make that happen. we got to make that happen because uh, Jay is really into some weird stuff that I'm into, you know, old Marvel comic books, like obscure yeah. comic books, 70s and movies and stuff. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to have him on and just kind of pick his brain and start with wrestling and just see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> A super talent. Uh, so again, go to pwi-online.com if you want to pick up the one issue, if you want to subscribe, uh, the longer you subscribe, the deeper the savings. And here at the beginning of the year, if you do it now, you'll be sure you get all the big issues, uh, throughout the year. We're already starting to put together the next issue, which will have, uh, the report cards and much, much more. Uh, the PWI 500 is later in the year. Uh, the female 50, uh, always a, a ton of issues you don't want to miss. So, again, pwi-online.com. Uh, please follow us on Twitter, at OfficialPWI. I was uh, live-tweeting the Rumble, as I am known to do. A lot of fun interacting with fans. Uh, find us on Facebook and send us an email here at pwipodcast at outlook.com. And uh, go to iTunes and please subscribe. Uh, listen to old shows. We've been doing this now for three years, is it? Wow. Time flies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, again, a whole lot of headlines coming out of the weekend. Um, why don't we begin with the one that's probably dominated the most mainstream headlines, and that's Ronda Rousey. Not exactly a surprise for folks who've been following, uh, but kind of mixed reviews and certainly a lot of questions about where do you go uh, from here. Clearly, she's going to be a presence at WrestleMania. What that means is up in the air. There are, you know. She she had to stare down with Asuka. She had to stare down with uh, Alexa and Charlotte. Went outside. And she did a lot of pointing. A lot. Yes, of pointing. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of <laughs> Point, weird. Look around. Uh, I guess I'll point again. <laughs> and it's and it's amazing. Uh, I think certainly people who follow uh, wrestling as closely as you and I do, wrestling fans, how much you can take away from those few seconds and and those you know a gesture, not even a word was said. But I think almost universally, she came out, she did the pointing, and it was a little, like, cringy, right? <laughs> I mean, it was yes, like, ugh. Yeah. Um, smiling, too. And I know that's a big debut, and she's yeah. going to be happy. She's, she's a lifetime wrestling fan and wore the Rowdy, Rowdy Roddy Piper-inspired outfit and everything and got to get out there on that stage with that reaction and point at WrestleMania. But, you know, she's known for her intensity. You know, the, mm-hmm. the intensity for her fights and in the weigh-ins. And she comes out uh, out there with kind of a poop-eaten grin and points. Then looks at Asuka and, and Alexa, and doesn't really know what to do, and points again. And yeah, a little bit cringy, but I mean, still, that that shouldn't diminish the impact that she should have uh, both on WrestleMania and the fact that she was announced as a full-time uh, competitor. Yeah. So uh, yeah. she's gonna be around for the long haul. It looks like not just uh, you know one and done at WrestleMania. Yeah, the smile I think was. Um in some ways a little tone deaf, but also I think endearing because uh, it, it showed how happy she really was to be there. And, you know, that's totally what you want. You want somebody who wants to be there. Uh, but yeah, the pointing, it was so kind of unnatural. It was so WWE corporate scripted kind of thing. Um, I think, it, it, I mean, I don't have a problem with her pointing, but it was just like so playing to the cameras. And um, in in WWE's defense, it's sort of a, a testament to how talented their workers are. That when they do things like that, uh, they they do it subtly enough and naturally enough that you don't notice. And I remember, you know, years ago, uh, uh, I think when I interviewed with WWE Magazine, they talked about how 
so many of these kind of iconic moments in the ring photographs are are totally staged ahead of time in that you know you're going to go in there and you're going to stand in front of this camera and you're going to you know be sure you make this gesture be sure you point to this thing because we need that photo and that was the photo obviously that was all over the news the next day ronda pointing oh yeah but it was so like put on right i mean it like uh just, there wasn't anything natural about it uh so you touched on it yes the the, the, the news is she's in she she's full-time and what does that mean i can't imagine she is truly full-time uh i've got to think that by full-time they mean that it's not a one-off but she's probably going to have a schedule closer to to brock lesnar's i would think um but you know how much of a difference maker can she be if this was two years ago uh pre amanda nunez pre holly holm um you know i think it'd be one thing but this Ronda Rousey, at this point in time, uh, how much of a difference maker do you think she could be? I did write the book with Pat LaProd, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle, but the last chapter of that is all about Ronda Rousey, the biggest prospect who's not even a wrestler yet. And we decided to end the book. I mean, obviously, we knew that Ronda Rousey had an interest in, in pro wrestling, but this, this came out in April of 2017, and we wrote it you know, almost a year before that, so almost two years now. Uh, where we really looked at Ronda Rousey is, okay, if WWE really is serious about pushing women, they've got to bring Ronda Rousey in, and she's the one woman who could potentially headline a WrestleMania. And now here we are. And it's really, again, uh, that vindication, that feeling of like, wow, this is really cool. Um, they, they saw where the opportunity was, and WWE w- went full bore to make it happen. Um, I remember when we wrote this, there were some women wrestlers, and, and retired women wrestlers in particular, who kind of you know, poo-pooed the whole idea to us, uh, to Pat and I, saying, you know, Ronda Rousey's a fighter. She's not a pro wrestler. It's a completely different thing. Um, you know, just because she can go out there in the octagon doesn't mean she'll understand the nuances of pro wrestling. And that makes sense. But you look at somebody like Lesnar, who admittedly started with pro wrestling before he went into UFC, um, but Shayna Baszler and, and others who have kind of gone the opposite way, they started in MMA and came into wrestling, some of them have made seamless transitions. And I really think that Ronda has uh, the charisma, the, the grappling, the look, and the, the name recognition where I think she's going to immediately become that factor. So whether they decide to put her in the ring against Charlotte at WrestleMania, whether they do what I wish they would do, put her in again against Asuka, uh, or, or what they do, regardless of what they do, I think it's going to be a, a really big match and it's going to be a huge thing for WWE. And I think she's going to be one of WWE's top stars of 2018. There's some talk, uh, obviously, of a tag team match with her and The Rock versus Stephanie and Triple H, which would go back to the the angle they shot. God, how many years ago was that? Three years ago, I guess. Uh, and at, it makes sense. We, again, we, we kind of thought about that with the book. Pat, my co-author, was saying, you know, always oh, Stephanie versus Ronda would be the, the, the marquee matchup. Um, and because of name recognition, maybe, uh, but uh, you know, Stephanie McMahon has never been a full-time wrestler. Uh, she's had a couple of showings. Where she hasn't been terrible, uh, but putting her in there against Ronda, I think is, is a terrible move. So the key is to put Ronda in there against somebody who can wrestle really well and, and let them both shine. Um, putting her in there in a tag match with the rock and triple H and everything else. It's just kind of a spectacle. And I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the best utilization of somebody of Ronda Rousey's skills. I think you've got to put her in there with somebody who's got more experience, who can walk her through a pro match, but can also match up well with her, like Charlotte Flair. Yeah. The flip side of that is she hasn't had a match yet, and 
I think that uh, obviously you got to debut her in a big match at WrestleMania, um, but you also need to really protect her, right? I mean, it's not the best analogy, but you think of like how uh, Maria Menounos or a Snooki was handled at WrestleMania, and uh, clearly Ronda's got you know more skill and more training than that, but she's still going to be very very green. So I, a, a match with Asuka, on one hand, the thinking might be. Somebody that talented is going to help help her carry her to a good match. The flip side of that is that uh, she's so green. I don't know that she should be really having a bona fide match uh, at this point. You know what? I, I wouldn't have a problem with a tag team match where you could really pick your spots with her. You could really um, uh, keep to a a minimum how much she's out there, how much she's exposed, how many spots she does. Uh, that kind of thing. <clears throat> the, the problem with that is that at some point, I mean, she's got to get in there. If she's a full time worker, she's actually has to to wrestle and 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 in yeah. singles matches at some point. It, so you can't protect her forever. Funny. But but for the purposes of a WrestleMania and her big debut and and as important as it'll be to for it to go off well, I wouldn't have a problem with with that tag team match setting where you could cover a lot of things up and you have the injection of star power. Uh, from The Rock, if if they could get him. Look, if you could get The Rock, you get The Rock. Absolutely. Yeah, but you don't need to mix The Rock with Ronda Rousey, I think. And, and tag teams come with their own unique set of challenges, too. A tag team match isn't necessarily easier than a singles match uh, because there is a lot of back-and-forth communication, who should be in, who tags. I mean, there's a little bit more going on. Ronda, right now, we don't know if she's been at the Performance Center to date. I assume she has. I know that there's been photo ops and everything else. I don't know how much she's trained there. But even if she starts the, the Performance Center tomorrow, uh, there's still two months, three months almost until we get to WrestleMania time. If she's training there, she's already got the grappling uh, background. She has been a wrestling fan for her entire life. And some of her closest friends, like, again, Shayna Baszler, have been doing this for a few years now. I think that the Performance Center, I mean, they were able to turn around, say, uh, Lawrence Taylor to headline a WrestleMania in, what, three or four weeks and, and have a presentable match against Bam Bam Bigelow, who by no means was a, a ring general uh, in any sense. Uh, Stephen Amell from Archer. Admittedly, that was a, a tag match there, but he did a fairly good match uh, on very little training. Uh, a natural MMA fighter like Rousey with two or three months of the Performance Center of full-time training, I think she could do fine. I think that she should have a, a singles match to really shine. The other, you know, big question is put the the uh, uh, ring work aside, and there is evidence that she could be good at it um, because she is obviously a world class athlete, um, super dedicated, a, a really hard worker, uh, and surrounds herself with with folks who can do this really well. Shayna Baszler is coming along as well as anybody. Uh, so on that side, you know, there's almost less reason to be worried than uh, the the other part of, of pro wrestling that is equally, if not more important, and that's the personality part. And that's where, you know, I think there's still some uneasiness, and rightfully so, because I think even in MMA, where she became a star, that was her weak point. I mean, when she get behind the microphone, um, she could be pretty pretty unlikable, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's both in victory and especially in, in defeat. I mean, uh, when, when folks got to see the real Ronda Rousey, as much as they respected her and admired her for her hard work and her tenacity, 
Uh, she was about as bad a sport as you could be. I mean, in that sense, uh, uh, really, a lot of folks felt not a good role model for for uh, girls in, uh, I mean, super unprofessional, uh, really kind of petulant when she would lose a, a fight and, and kind of a, a head case, you know, she... She lost a, There's still a room fight. For head cases of pro wrestling. Yeah, but but also a a head case who has to play politics and and deal with all the 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 backstage machinations and some She's resentment a and a lot of looking over her shoulder. Um, you know, I I don't know, and uh, I think because she's such a, I think she's totally going to be like a company a person, and I can see that backfiring as it did a little bit. Uh, on Sunday that I think she's so kind of starry-eyed about being in WWE where she grew up watching and she was a big Roddy Piper fan and all that stuff um, that she's going to defer to them anything they tell her to do. And uh, that leads to the Randy Orton promo, you know, where you are reading word for word and none of your personality <laughs> is getting through. And so I could see some of that happening. And um, I think I think we do need to see some of the actual Ronda Rousey, even if it's not all that pretty. Uh, you know, she might actually be more naturally a heel than a baby face. But, yes. but I think what we need to see is the, the Ronda Rousey, <clears throat> you know, that would do the walk to the octagon in UFC. You know, just scowling, uh, that making that beeline right to the cage, super determined, ready to kick some butt. Uh, that's what we got to see. If she goes out there and starts cutting these cutesy scripted promos, no, you uh, can't. Do that. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, so well, we'll the see. best way to do that WWE is hedging their bets a little bit now, where you've seen on social media both Sasha Banks, who apparently is is going a little bit more heel, or at least exhibited that at the Rumble, and Nia Jax, both kind of saying, you know, well, I I think it was maybe I'm getting the two wrong, but Nia kind of tweeted. Um, Hey, well, uh, good. I guess uh, Ronda Rousey's here. Let's ignore the 30 women who made history tonight. Um, <laughs> kind of a snarky little response. And then uh, uh, Sasha said something along the lines of, well, I was raised to say something. Only say something. Uh, you know, if you've got nothing nice to say, then don't say anything. So I won't say anything about Ronda Rousey. Something along those lines. <laughs> now, those are both baby faces at this point, though. Either can kind of turn. But if the fans do turn <laughs> on Ronda for whatever reason – it's very easy to turn her heel, make her full-fledged heel, and then that way the baby faces is already, they've already teased some dissension, so it, it can work either way. And if you really have trouble with Ronda, man, who better to manage her than Paul Heyman? Paul yeah, Heyman takes a lot of people bringing up that bank, name. Uh, comes the, the, the mouthpiece, and then you're all set. The, the tricky thing is whether or not you want to portray her as a baby face because it's not that Heyman couldn't manage a baby face. Uh, but he couldn't manage a traditional baby face, right? It would be hard for him to be the person that he is representing uh, Brock Lesnar and then turn around and be a spokesperson for a straight-up role model hero. Uh, right. But, but I think an edgy Ronda Rousey, really a Ronda Rousey that is truer to the, the Ronda Rousey that she is, uh, yeah, absolutely, I think Paul Heyman could work for her. And, and um, you know, there's so many parallels between her and Brock in terms of like the legitimacy and the credibility that, yeah, I think he would, he would work uh, perfectly with her. So, um, so let, let's jump and talk about the women's uh, rumble. You talked about it a little bit already. Um, I gotta say, I loved it. Uh, I, I really did. And I thought that, you know, over the last few years, they have been, um, they, they, there's been a lot of misfires when they've tried to 
uh, create these kind of historic milestones for the women, whether it was the first uh, women's Hell in the Cell, which was kind of a dud, uh, the, mm-hmm. the first uh, women's pay-per-view main event, which I think was the Hell in the Cell main event, right? Uh, uh, yes. The, yeah. the Money in the Bank that, you know, what's his name? James Ellsworth, Ellsworth. ended up winning. Um, you know, I think like they've uh, they've they've really flubbed it uh, a lot when when they've had this chance, and so I was a little little uneasy about how they'd pull this off, especially having you know thirty women and an hour long rumble, the second rumble of the night. There was so much that could go wrong, and I thought in Philadelphia was, with that in Philadelphia, audience. yeah, yeah, on a yeah. long show, um, closing out a really long show, and uh, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, um, it, it was everything the match should have been. I thought um, the the kind of walk down memory lane, the the the, the kind of tributes to the the history of the women's division, the the various evolutions from you know Jackie from that '90s era through Tori Wilson through the Bellas, um, the the symbolism of the Bellas and Oscar being there to the end. I re- one of the things I really liked was <clears throat> the the personalities that really came through the women, right? Because since the beginning of time, so much of the men's Royal Rumbles has been about the personalities, whether um, it was the the workhorses, guys like Ric Flair or Bob Backlund or, or Rey Mysterio that went the distance, you know, an hour plus in the ring, or the Diesels or Kane or Roman Reigns that go in there and, you know, they're, they're the ones to beat and they're unstoppable and they're throwing everybody over the ring, or the comedy guys uh, like Santino who were in and out. Uh, uh, the athletes like Kofi Kingston. So this kind of branding of, of, of guys having their roles in, in telling this hour plus uh, story. And I thought they did a real brilliant job uh, of that with the women uh, where you had, again, you had Sasha as kind of the workhorse going almost an hour. You had uh, Nia Jax as uh, the, the intimidating kind of giant in there that everybody had to gang up on. Uh, Vicky Guerrero for for comedy, Naomi doing uh, the incredible athletic stuff outside uh, uh, the ring, uh, uh, Trish Stratus at the end as the the legend coming back, kind of the Hulk Hogan. Uh, so it was it was more than um, just you know what order are they going to be eliminated in? Who's coming in next? They did a really good job, sort of distinguishing every woman and what she brought to the table. Yeah, there's a few things I would probably change and tweak here and there if I really had to, if I was the one in back putting things together. Um, but overall, I thought it was a great match, and I think that it was a really gutsy move to put that on last. Um, I, I Nobody expected the women to be the, the final um, match. And uh, when the men's rumble started, my first instinct is, okay, they're in um, <clears throat> Philadelphia, which is a notoriously hostile crowd, and the past couple rumbles, the crowd has kind of turned on the show, uh, late in the show. So I thought, okay, this must be because the men's Royal Rumble, uh, the men's Royal Rumble is going to have an unpopular winner. So I was expecting this to be a, a Roman Reigns or something along those lines, a John Cena maybe. Uh, not that they really need the Rumble to, to advance to WrestleMania, those guys. But uh, I thought WWE might be hedging its bets to, to get the unpopular thing away and, and try to win them back with the women's Rumble. Um, instead, it was because they wanted that image of Rousey. You know, yeah, that the, was a giveaway to me that Ronda would be involved. And, yeah, that that they put it on last. Yeah, and the fact that they did. I mean, any battle royal is going to have some sloppiness to it, especially a battle royal where every ninety seconds you're turning to, to you know all the attention is on the aisle to see who's coming out next, which gives everyone in the ring a little bit of time to kind of relax and you know just just take a breather. Um, so there were some things that were a little bit sloppy and everything else and. 
Uh, It's really tough. Most women's battle royals are not over the top rope. It's through the ropes. This one, they were going over the top rope, and that was a little bit more difficult for some rather than others. Uh, but overall, for you know the first Women's Rumble, I thought it was really good, and uh, kudos for WWE uh, for making it happen. Yeah, and you got to think that uh, on any given Rumble, at least half to two-thirds of the men involved have been in a Rumble before, so there's some experience there. Uh, in, in this case, I know you've got, uh, was it Jackie or, or Beth Phoenix, I guess, have technically been in Rumbles before, men's Rumbles. But by and large, you're talking about a, a group of people who have never been in this kind of match. And a match that more than any other um, requires such careful chore- uh, choreography. And uh, I thought everybody just did a fantastic job. I mean, I was really just super impressed. And, and not just... Um, I, I was just happy that, that this match went off right. But the timing of the match, I don't mean on the show, but... Um, in our time, right? I mean, with uh, uh, changes in society and, and headlines, if ever there was a time for women to be showcased the way they were uh, on that platform, it's now. And and WWE, um, I mean, I just think they they got the perfect pitch across uh, the plate and they hit it out of the park. So now, uh, I, I will say this: Gal, Gal Kim had a comment that, that she put out on social media. Um, and, and it was something along the lines of, I mean, not to, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it, it was along the lines of, you know, I don't give Stephanie all this credit. Uh, Stephanie was also there when, you know, 10 years ago when they were sure. doing Braun Candy's matches and everything else. And it, it seems very convenient that Stephanie is now very, you know, women's revolution, whatever. I, I mean, th- a case could be made that, yeah, this is the sign of the times and WWE is, is just kind of following rather than leading. Um, but yeah, it, it's considering where the women's division was when Gal was there, her first run through, and to a lesser degree, her second run. Uh, but where it was 10, 15 years ago to now, it's it's pretty in, incredible to see it and see if this will have you know if this will have legs, if they'll continue to promote women this heavily and and continue to invest in the women's division where you can have enough women on the roster uh, where you can fit 30 people in the ring, not counting your two champions who, yeah. who weren't even at the match. Yeah. N- not to give Stephanie uh, uh, too much credit, but the fact is, I mean, she did not have the the influence, the juice um, that she does now back when, when Gail was in uh, WWE. Uh, I, I mean, I know she was still Vince McMahon's daughter, but um, right. Vince McMahon, I think, was a lot more firmly in control of the company than, uh, not that he isn't now, but, but Stephanie's influence in... Triple H's influence has grown significantly, so I do think Stephanie and, and Triple H do deserve um, a fair amount of credit for for what they've done with the women's division. To, to take a little bit of a step backwards, uh, with the women's Royal Rumble that happened, I, I felt really kind of happy about it because, um, well, Asuka winning and Nakamura um, winning the men's Royal Rumble, these are people we've been writing about in the magazine for years and have really been, you know, Asuka was number one in the female 50. And Nakamura was most popular wrestler of the year. And th- these are people that um, WWE is finally kind of giving them the, the push, you know, so to speak. Uh, that's commensurate with, you know, what we've been writing all along, uh, which made me feel really good. You know, in the, in the female 50, we, we write about a lot of the women who showed up in the, the Royal Rumble. And it's cool to think, you know, we're writing about um, Sarah Logan, for example, you know, Crazy Mary Dobson three, four, five years ago in the female 50 and others and uh, Ruby Riot as Heidi Loveless. 
And it's really cool when you see these people that you know have this talent uh, and can make it to that level who actually do. And, and it makes you feel, uh, you know, vindicated. Like, yes, we, we saw it, we wrote about it, and, and the magazine stands up. It, it holds up the test of time where you can go back to these issues that we were writing three or four years ago, and here are these talents on this big stage. You know, it, it shows that, that we were kind of ahead of the curve. Uh, let, let's talk uh, uh, briefly about the Men's Rumble. Uh, uh, less newsworthy in that it was more kind of paint-by-numbers, but a really good rumble um, and satisfying, right? I mean, I feel like for for so many years now, you get to that those last few guys, and it's like everybody's like in this panic. You're at the edge of your seat, not because of the, the suspense, because you're so worried that they're going to screw this up and pick the wrong guy. And they have time and time and time again, um, uh, at least for, you know, what a lot of fans feel. And here you had, you know, what were the, the last guys? Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns, John Cena, and, and Nakamura. Well, and Mysterio was in there, uh, Finn Balor. But when you get down to, and, and I think they were kind of trolling fans in that sense, but when it got down to Reigns and Nakamura, you're like, oh, God, please don't let it be uh, Reigns. And in Philadelphia, where he was booed out the building years ago when he won uh, the Rumble. And um, they just got it totally right. And and uh, I thought top to bottom, a super fun Rumble. The 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 returns, the return of Rey Mysterio, super newsworthy, surprising, really good work, fun spots um, throughout. Uh, I love this match as well. I didn't love it. Uh, it was good. I'm, I'm glad that Nakamura won. Um, but the thing is, man, Nakamura, uh, him getting into WrestleMania. How do you not love that? No, it's a great match. I mean, certainly, I mean, it was great the first time I saw it at Wrestle Kingdom and it's going to be great now at WrestleMania too. But, but the point is him winning the rumble, he did very little in the rumble. I mean, the, the things that make him special other, you know, his entrance, his, uh, his knee, uh, you know, knee shot, um, all of his kind of signature trademark things, he really didn't do many of those. He didn't exhibit a lot of like the charisma. Uh, you know, if the Rumble was the first time you're seeing Nakamura, I don't think that you're impressed. I think that the hardcore fans are very happy because Nakamura is finally getting his due. Um, but, and again, it's quibbling because I want to see him at WrestleMania, so I'm glad he won. He, he was definitely a guy I was pulling for, but I don't think it did his character any favors because he. He came into this a little bit cold. There wasn't a big kind of winning streak. He, he's been cold ever since losing the, the series against Jinder Mahal, really. Um, and, and I don't think he's really been built up well enough. Uh, maybe this is the beginning of that. Yes, but right. in any case, he's going into WrestleMania, which is good. Uh, for me, it just didn't have as much drama and excitement. And, you know, Hurricane and, and Ray, not really the most exciting surprise. Well, Ray was. Uh, I mean, Hurricane seemed like kind of a goof. Uh, it was it was definitely a goof. And Ray came in. He was uh, he was number twenty seven in. He lasted maybe six or seven minutes, and then he was out. He looked good. Great but shape, Ray came yeah. out, he, but he wasn't a. You didn't expect him to win, you know. And I just yeah, I wanted him to win because in the, the pool I was in, I had number twenty seven, so I would have <laughs> won the the payout had he yeah. had he won. That's why I know what number he was. Um, but yeah, for me, it was a little bit flat. I like the ending to it, uh, or the the right guy got out of it. But uh, I wasn't as impressed with this rumble as I have been for uh, a couple of the other recent ones. Yeah, I, I agree that that there's still a, a good amount of rebuilding to be done between now and WrestleMania uh, to really get 
Nakamura up and running uh, as a believable world title challenger at WrestleMania. Not that I think that match is going to go on last or even close to last. It'll probably be, you know, fourth from the top at best, uh, which I'm okay with. Just give it time. That's the only thing I, I ask for. You know, give those guys a half hour at the minimum um, at to, least, to yeah. tell the story that they need to tell uh, in the ring. Put it wherever you want on the card. Uh, just give them the proper time. <coughs> um, one other thing from the weekend I want to uh, talk about. Take over the, the night before. Uh, a, a fine takeover card. Uh, the owner card was just fine. But uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, maybe the best uh, WWE match in a decade uh, or close to a decade. I don't know if you might have to go back to Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. There have been other good ones over the years. Um, so, so not to overstate it, but Johnny Gargano and uh, Andrade Almas, I think both just made their careers uh, a Saturday night. Not that they, they already weren't on um, uh, the trajectory to be big stars in WWE and, and are big stars already, uh, but uh, they just had uh, a really a once-in-a-lifetime match that the fans were going crazy over, eating out of the palm of their hand, told a fantastic story. Uh, I, I can't say enough good things about this match. I mean, I was jumping out of my seat into it. Uh, a really fantastic, um, you know, and and just like that, Johnny Gargano becomes one of the most talked about guys uh, in the company. Seeing Almas was in, in the Rumble the next night, kind of a wasted opportunity because they just had kind of Randy Orton unceremoniously toss him uh, from the ring. Uh, but, you know, everybody's talking about uh, Gargano as they should because he's fantastic. Uh, but I was super impressed by Sing Almas, and and of the two, um, that's the one I look at and say there is a money act. Him and uh, Zelina Vega, uh, I think they're just they are so red hot right now and doing such great work. I can absolutely see that that act translating into uh, the main roster tomorrow. Uh, I, I just think they're fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, now, the match itself, I haven't seen the match yet. I've been waiting for an opportunity to sit down and really kind of, because I have read everything about it. I've heard about it. Everyone's been talking about this match, and I want to give it its, its respect, where I can sit down and watch it carefully and closely. For me, I'd, I'm, I'm skeptical, because I, I've seen a lot that uh, Almas has done, especially as La Sombra, and I really like his, his stuff. Gargano, to me, in my in opinion, I've always thought him to be overrated. I've never really been impressed with anything I've seen out of Gargano. And I know he's got a, a very vocal fan following out there, and and he's been all over. Uh, so I'll, I'll give him his, you know, give a chance to watch the match without any prejudices. But the thing is, in terms of this being the greatest WWE match or among the great ones, it's tough to me because neither of these guys, they're 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 not even on the main roster. And oh, I'm so with you, have, and, and like, I don't say it lightly. I, I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I it, it get doesn't have that kind of build. It, it's not the you know. It, it's not for me. A great match has to have some sense of importance. It's got to be on uh, the right stage, the right story, the right. Yes, it's the culmination of a lot of things. And this is two great athletes who were at a takeover, and, and they had a very good match that I'm looking forward to seeing. But it would really have to blow me away for me to be tempted to put it in that kind of category. But again, you're not alone. I've seen a lot of people who have said the exact same thing. So Yes, and, and I, I totally with you. I, I think uh, uh, backstory and stage and how over they are uh, have everything to do uh, uh, with, with how uh, a special match comes across. I think there's enough of all of that uh, uh, in this match. Um, and if uh, you follow NXT, and I don't follow NXT super closely, but uh, just in the hype videos for, for this match, I think they did a good job of kind of 
uh, uh, telling what this story is and uh, Gargano's kind of journey to this and uh, uh, Andrade as not the fluke champion, but but certainly the surprise champion, um, you know, having just won it from a guy who folks thought was going to be a champ for, for uh, a long period of time in uh, Drew uh, McIntyre. And I, I think they told enough of a story there, and it had to do with Gargano's father and, and him having health issues. Um, whatever the case, fans, NXT fans, love, love, loved Gargano. I mean, he might be the yeah. most over guy in, in, in the company. And then the, the this wasn't a, a Wednesday night uh, NXT taping from six weeks ago that airs now. It's TakeOver on Royal Rumble weekend in Philadelphia. This is a big show. I mean, this, the stage is about as big as it gets for NXT and really one of the bigger stages for, for any wrestling show uh, uh, of it's the true. year. It, I mean, it's it's bigger, a bigger stage than anything Ring of Honor will do, oh, anything sure. like Impact will 15,000 people in, in, exactly. in uh, yeah. a major yeah. arena in a major city. Uh, so this was a big stage. I think these are big stars. They had a big storyline. So there was enough of that. Granted, it's not Undertaker, Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania, but I think there was enough of that that it was more than just work rate. And you're right. I, I don't think – I remember years ago uh, a match between – I think it was Davey Richards and – I don't even remember who it was. Maybe Nigel McGinnis. Uh, and this was before Davey Richards was even, I think, one half of the American Wolves uh, when he right. was sort of coming up in, in, in the Ring of Honor mid-card. And they had a match, I think, at WrestleMania weekend, uh, maybe in 2008. I'm not sure. And uh, Dave Meltzer gave it five stars, said it was like the best match of the year. And I saw the match, and it was a really good match. But for all the reasons you're saying, I was like, this isn't a great match. I mean, these guys had no kind of history. There was no kind of build. It was in front of 200 people. Uh, right, you know, that's that not big this. Difference. Yes, that's okay. not this. Yeah, uh, I don't think. And and really, I mean, it's going to be hard when 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 Nakamura won the Rumble next night, uh, the next night, and they set up uh, him and AJ. Uh, I immediately thought to this match, and I said, "Well, this is their competition. They've got to put on a better match than this." Uh, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for any match, certainly in WWE, to be better than this match uh, this year, and maybe for the next several years. I mean, it was. It was that good a match. Um, and lastly, why don't we touch on uh, the Raw 25th anniversary? I know you wanted to talk about it. I got to go. I was at the Manhattan Center just as an experience. It was super cool. I took my nine-year-old son. You know, now, you walk on. into the Manhattan Center. Yeah, your and nine-year-old son hearing hearing the chants, hearing the, <laughs> yeah. the BS chants and everything <laughs> else. I could probably, like, count on one hand how many kids were there. Uh, it was very much like an older crowd, a crowd that uh, – had to spend some serious money to, to be in there. So these were not casual fans. <clears throat> and I think uh, I think it's fair to say that they left somewhat disappointed. That they didn't get the best show at, at the Manhattan Center. Um, but just in terms of an experience, walking in there, seeing the old Raw sign, seeing the Ico Pro banner, I totally the went Ico crazy. Pro was, yes. I went crazy, and I'm like, my kid doesn't get why I'm going crazy over some banner that says Ico Pro. I could explain the whole thing to him. Uh, but, but they did a really nice job uh, – uh, of kind of bringing back that that feel of the original Raws. Uh, I was disappointed, not just that they didn't do very much at the Manhattan Center, <clears throat> selfishly, uh, but that they didn't, you know, it, it, some of it seemed like nostalgia for nostalgia's sake, uh, at least the stuff on at, at the Manhattan Center. What did DX ever have to do with the Manhattan Center? I was happy to see them, but 
uh, honestly, I wanted to see Coco beware, <laughs> you know, like, why isn't Coco here? He was in the first match ever on, on Raw. I wanted to see Max Moon. I wanted to see Damian, Damian Demento. Demento. Yes, that would have been nice. <laughs> but, How did Sun react to seeing uh, Undertaker doing kind of the downgraded uh, entrance? You know, not the big arena, not everything else. Did, did he still have that same aura to a younger yeah. uh, spectator? And there was a guy in the audience much bigger than me who a, a, a better parent might have been concerned about this, who pretty much kidnapped my kid, put him on top of his shoulders, and ran to the front so he could get a good view. Uh, and, and no, honestly, he, he came by and, and said, hey, you want to come? And I let him go, and he my kid got the best view of the, the whole thing. Uh, so That's that cool. was really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. But it was great. Yeah, I mean, just uh, I, I always sort of, part of me fantasizes about um, the the bottom really falling out of WWE business so they go back to stuff like that because it's such a cool way to watch that stuff, the, the, the smaller atmosphere. I mean, I wouldn't want to pay those ticket prices every Monday, but, <laughs> but uh, the difference between seeing Raw like that in the, Manha- in the Grand Ballroom in the Manhattan Center versus you know the 20,000-seat Barclays, uh, yeah, it's night and day. Yeah, yeah, it definitely seemed like – I mean, that's what – I mean, the opening segment, I think as a show on TV, it, it came off really flat other than the McMahon-Austin segment, you know, as, in terms of the entire show. Yeah, that was the highlight uh, of the thing, yeah. Jim Cornette said a, a brilliant thing that, that makes sense. You know, how, how in the world could you possibly not have one match start in one venue and end in the other? And that's the kind of <laughs> wild stuff that they would have done back in that era and in the Shotgun Saturday Night era. Like, I remember um, the 1988, I think, maybe Slammy Awards. Uh, one of the first awards, uh, Harley Race got into a Harley fight and with Jim Hacksaw Cornette. fighting the back, yeah, yeah with chickens or something, or goats. They kept or... fighting throughout the show, like <laughs> at random points, they just kind of brawl on the stage and everything. And like that was that was kind of like a gag of that era, and it would have worked perfectly if they had brought something like that back in. And it was a missed opportunity, one of many missed opportunities for that show. Yeah, the the one thing whenever you know WWE kind of goes down memory lane, um, I'm. I don't know if I'm bothered, uh, maybe bothered is the word, how much sort of the uh, the Attitude Era is kind of romanticized that it was like, oh, it was all about the Attitude Era. Watch a Raw from, you know, 98, 99, uh, you know, outside of Austin and The Rock and all that stuff, which is fantastic. A lot of it was crap. I mean, it was really oh, yeah. bad stuff. Uh, and... I get that that was historically significant, but but I'm uh, bothered when they they do these kind of nostalgia trips that they ignore huge pieces of their history, right? So they they did I think a top 100 raw moments on the network, and I don't know that there was like anything from 94 to like 96. You're talking like three full years uh, of Monday Night Raw, and I'm not saying. Those were the best years, but there was good stuff in there. You know, I remember, I mean, some of that stuff you couldn't do, you know, Brian Pillman pulling a gun on Steve Austin or, or some other stuff. But remember Vader attacking uh, Grill Monsoon? That Grill was, Monsoon, absolutely. That was yes. a super hot angle. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of that stuff. And, and they just ignore all that. Yeah. It's too bad. Definitely. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's, uh, it sounds like you guys had a better time than a lot of the other fans that I've uh, read their accounts online. So that's good. Okay, thanks so much, Dan. We will do this uh, again soon. All right. Right now, let's hear from uh, an interview that I conducted some months ago with uh, who is now the reigning Ring of Honor heavyweight champion, Dalton Castle. One reason I was interested in talking to you is because I, I think you've become sort of one of these unlikely 
Ring of Honor um, major stars, especially if you sort of look at uh, over the years, sort of the the mold for a, a Ring of Honor headliner. Um, I think it's fair to say that you're, you're very kind of removed from from that mold. Yet you found all this success there. Uh, so I want to talk to you a bit about that. Um, to to what do you attribute that? I mean, are are you surprised with how far you've come there in the company and the progress you've made? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, the most unhumble way possible. I've always believed I was good, but I've never really, I mean, never really proved that uh, until I've seen this kind of uh, payoff in a company where, yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe, maybe somebody like me uh, traditionally didn't belong there, but I've always felt, I mean, if somebody's going to be a star, they're going to be a star no matter what restrictions uh, the stage holds for them. Right. Right. And, and obviously what we're talking about is the character and, and um, Ring of Honor is a company that as a whole has not really delved that much into uh, uh, characters like yours, uh, not not just sort of the, the characters in general, right? I mean, like you, you look at the, the, the headlines, the champions over um, the years, and it's not that they were bland or anything like that, but it's hard to put your finger on what's the character behind um, whoever, Christopher Daniels or uh, any kind of typical Ring of Honor headliner. Yours is very much uh, uh, cut from kind of the sports entertainment uh, cloth of here is a character that's sort of easy to describe um, what it is. When, when you came in um, to, to the company, was that your idea? Was something that you worked with the creative people the Ring of Honor and putting together the character um, of Dalton Castle? Was, did you have to sort of sell it at all? Yeah, I had to really sell myself to think just to get a shot at Ring of Honor. I don't think they um, at any point saw a long-term investment in me from the start. I, uh, I, I developed what you see on my own. I was uh, doing it on the independent scene for almost two years, maybe before Ring of Honor allowed me to do it on their TV product. And it wasn't until I presented the full uh, character and entrance and everything it wasn't until I, I showed them it put together that they were even going to give me a look. And once they did, I don't know if they they saw – oh, I'm positive they didn't see a long-term run out of it, but they definitely saw – they definitely wanted to give me every opportunity to make it work because they allowed me to do the full entrance. They allowed me to take the time and and come out and, and – they supplied me with two boys to use, <laughs> which so that much was in the part. They supplied the boys, right? But yeah. I, that was my chance to prove myself. Uh, that was my chance to prove that something like this could work in Ring of Honor. They're the fans, everybody, no matter what crowd you're sitting in, deep down, all you really want to do is be entertained, right? Yeah. What was that initial feedback? Was was it, yeah, you know, this isn't really for us. This is the kind of thing that we do here. Was it an objection to a character at all, or was it an objection to, maybe objection is, is too strong a word, but, but was the hesitation, the reluctance about the character specifically, or just in generally doing the character in Ring of Honor? No, I think 
they, you never, nobody's ever discouraged from presenting a character having the Ring of Honor. Uh, I mean, wrestling is first and foremost always a show, so I think I think everybody's got to present something like that. But you can't ever tell somebody what you're looking for. You people only know what they want and when they see it. You can't say, "Hey, bring me, bring me a guy with wings and who comes out with boys." I don't develop that. No, no, nobody knew they wanted that. I didn't know I wanted to be that until I kind of snowballed into what I am now, and it made me feel comfortable, and I felt uh, right making every move that I did. And fortunately for me, once I put all these pieces together and put them on the stage, the, the fans all agreed that they like it too. And had they not done that, uh, then maybe... I wouldn't be in the position I would be. No, no, maybe about it. I wouldn't be. I would not be yeah. here talking to you today. Yeah. Did, did you sense some of that, like you said, I'm talking about, from the fans themselves? I mean, you look at the Ring of Honor, um, a crowd, maybe one of the, the first time, and you've got the boys and, and the whole entrance and, and this kind of over-the-top character. I imagine there's some fans in the audience that are thinking, this really isn't for us. You, you're in the wrong, you know, that's what everybody I never felt like I didn't belong. Sure, I was nervous, and I didn't know how it was going to go, but I was confident in myself. I've been, I've been wrestling for a long time before I even got put in the, uh, in the position of being on the ring, in the Ring of Honor ring. But the second I walked through the curtain, the fans, for some lucky strike, I don't know, for some reason, they in Nashville, that's where I debuted, uh, they made me feel welcome. They made me, they reassured me that what I'm doing is the right move. And uh, I don't know. What, what were we talking about again? Oh, the <laughs> reaction from, from the fans. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 It was good. Um, I mean, I knew uh, that the Ring of Honor crew or the officials didn't exactly believe 100% in it. Because I, I I knew my fate was to go out there, lose first round, and maybe never be seen again. But at least I was going to get that one shot. At least I was going to be seen by the Nashville crowd and the TV show yeah, audience. Yeah. Did you feel that it was critical that, um, in addition to the character, there was some actual wrestling skill there? And I know you've been at it um, for, for a long time. You've got amateur credentials. If you went out there with just the gimmick and not much to back it up in the ring, I imagine there would have been more uh, of a likelihood that it would have fallen flat or, or fans wouldn't have come around. I don't know if it would have fallen flat, but it definitely wouldn't have. I wouldn't have lasted this long, and I probably would not have uh, moved forward and be in the spotlight that I have been in for the last couple of years. I think there's longevity in uh, mixing the two worlds. Ring of Honor has been the place for amazing and excellent wrestling for so many years. And uh, to entertain somebody and to be a sports entertainer, uh, yeah, that that's great. But in the world of Ring of Honor, if you can't do both, um, they're going to get tired of you real fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the, the genesis of the character. And uh, I, I know it, it is more nuanced uh, than this, but... You know, you look it up, and if, if you were explaining in shorthand what's the character, people would say flamboyant gay guy. Um, and, and again, knowing that it's deeper than that, 
But what were, how would you describe it? What were some of the influences um, behind it? I mean, obviously, that character, um, there have been different yeah, uh, incarnations for years and years. I remember growing up watching Adrian Adonis, and then there's, uh, you know, there's a little gold dust in there for sure. There, there, there's all, uh, a lot of disruptions. So how would you describe how you came up with it? Well, I wasn't modeling myself after any wrestler at all. I was taking things from uh, the music world, mostly. What people were doing on stage that caught my eye in the world of glam rock, like uh, Freddie Mercury or, or David Bowie or even Justin Hawkins from The Darkness. And, and Lady Gaga, I feel like, I don't know what it is about her, but I feel like her and I share a soul. <laughs> when it comes to performing, uh, she's captivating. Or, or people like that, they they demand attention, and it's undeniable. And I look at that, and I think that's what I want to do, and that's how I want to perform in wrestling. So that said, are you bothered that very often it's sort of reduced to flamboyant gay guy? Yeah, 100% I am, because yeah. – what does that have to do with anything? What does somebody's sexual orientation have to do with who they are as a person? Uh, I don't want you to judge me, Dalton Castle, the character, based on who he is sexually attracted to. I want you to like me for the way I perform or for what you see or hate me for what yeah. you see. It shouldn't have to come to anything other than that. Is is it a sign of the times? This one of your your goals in this character to get this character over as um, a, a fan favorite. Because when you talk about those characters that I brought up, that that maybe there's some of that in in Dalton Castle, Adrian Adonis, um, and, and the original Goldust. They were clearly meant to be uh, bad guys and villains, and in, in some cases, just because of their sexuality. I, re, I, re, I mean, the Adrian Adonis character was a bad guy because he was gay. You know, that, that was pretty much uh, the character. I remember, and they made no qualms about it. I remember him standing up in TNT and, and announcing, I am gay. And that enough was the reason for fans to hate him. Uh, and over the years, there have been uh, attempts to get over the flamboyant gay character as uh, a baby face. But, you know, I, I don't know that it's ever really taken hold uh, and stuck. And you might be the, the exception. So do you, do you take some pride in that? Is, is, is that um, something that you're hoping to accomplish to, to have fans embrace this flamboyant character? No, that was never the, the original plan. Uh, I mean, as a human being, I'd like for something or for that to be changed completely inside wrestling and outside. I don't, I honestly, I don't know where, uh, I, I don't know how we're in a, a world where people still view uh, somebody being gay as being bad. So, I mean, it's definitely great that uh, if people perceive me as a gay character that they also perceive me as a good guy, as a good wrestler. Um, it was never, yeah. it's not my, it's not my flag to fly and I'm not here to fight a battle. Uh, but 
I definitely am very happy when people accept me as a as a as a babyface or a good character, uh, as a as a good wrestler. I don't think I don't think me getting to, or trying to get people to like me has been the goal. Uh, I was just going to go out there and I'm going to be who I think Dalton Castle is. First and foremost, that's what I'm always going to do. And if I end up being a fan favorite, then that's great. That feels good. Uh, but that's not the goal. I'm not going to change who I am to make people like me. I'm never going to do something that I find disrespectful. Uh, I'm always going to stay within the realms of what I find comfortable. Yeah. Have, have you heard it all from the gay community? It's good, bad, or, or indifference. Um, their input on, on the character you're performing? Uh, no, they didn't call me up. Nobody. <laughs> I know. I guess I guess they didn't make it like a collective. Yeah. You know, yeah, I don't know if the gay community can weigh in as as a whole. Have Have you heard from gay wrestling fans? Uh, yeah, I, I have, and uh, that always makes me happy. But it also makes me nervous in the fact that uh, sometimes maybe they they look at me as I'm doing something bigger than than I am. Or right, they, becoming they, this reluctant sort of representative, yeah. Right, they believe that maybe I've got some sort of underlining, um, uh, what is it, alternative, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, or, or I don't know, maybe they think I've, I'm, I'm doing something with some sort of yeah, under, underlying alternative motive. Thank you, that's the yeah. word I'm looking for. Yeah. I just... I just worked out. The mouth's not working. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's an uh, interesting position to be in. I, I, I know this is the case in Hollywood a lot with, with actors. There are actors who will not take on, um, and this is happening less so, but, but over time there have been actors who said that they, they won't take on a role, uh, a gay role, because they worry about um, being pigeonholed or just being looked at differently. And I imagine that's happened in, in wrestling over the years, too. And uh, in some cases, it, it, it has been the case. Did you have any qualms about that at all, you know, taking on a gay character and um, people thinking you're gay? Um, and and that's that's something that concerns you at all, one way or the other, um, or always now being, again, pigeonholed as this character? Well, I still have never disclosed whether Dalton Castle's gay or not. That's interesting. That is that that will never be disclosed because that's nobody's business. And if somebody perceives me as gay, that's not going to bother me or or uh, make me happy in any way. Um that's someone's perception of me. And I don't feel even if I get pigeonholed, even if I get known as the gay wrestler, that doesn't bother me. Being gay is not a bad thing. Uh, people can love whoever they want to love, and I want that to be the ending message here. Uh, again, like like Dalton for Dalton, not for who he's taking home at night. Right. right. Yeah, no, well said. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about Ring of Honor, where it is right now, and kind of your role uh, in it. Um, I've said for years now, and and I think more kind of empirical evidence has come out um, certainly in recent months that 
Ring of Honor is the number two um, in in the United States, and maybe a distant number two because WWE is this juggernaut. Uh, but but how do you see it? I mean, do, do you see it as a, a real national and growing force? And um, certainly with the news of, of Sinclair buying up uh, all these more stations in some big markets, New York included, its profile is growing bigger and bigger. Where, where do you kind of see Ring of Honor um, in, in its place in the, the national landscape of wrestling right now, and, and what is ahead? Oh, God, I don't know what lies ahead, but I do know if uh, we continue the pattern uh, that has been going on since I, I came on board, uh, then great things are ahead. Um, I didn't know that... I would see this kind of success in Ring of Honor uh, when I when I first got here. I just knew it was a place that I wanted to be a part of. It was a place that was going to allow me to develop and grow the character the way I wanted to. And the benefit of that uh, coming on board was I've watched the, the houses grow. I've watched the uh, the attendance grow. I've watched the budget for our production grow. And uh, we just done our second tour of the UK within a 12-month span, and uh, we've I've been to Japan twice because of it, and it just looks like the schedule gets better and better. So either it's going to become so big that it's going to be annoying, mm-hmm. or it's going to keep growing at a great rate, and it's going to make everybody happy, along with the fans and the wrestlers. Yeah. Well, I, I remember interviewing Harry Spoken uh, years ago, uh, pretty regularly, and whenever uh, WWE or TNA would assign um, one of Ring of Honor's bigger names, we'd have the discussion, what are you going to do? Does this create panic in Ring of Honor? You know, missing these guys. And very often it happened in waves. You know, two or three would, would um, leave at a time. And uh, whether it was Kerry back then or, or more recent years, Joe Koff, there's always been this real kind of cool – Tom, uh, a reaction, which I think is sincere, saying, you know, we're not worried about it. That's what we do. We'll just create more. Um, and I, I, I think Ring of Honor has always been great about, you know, really doing that, you know, not, not just paying lips to it, but, but always having guys uh, in the pipeline. And whenever you, you sense that uh, they're starting to have this, this, be this void created, you see guys rise to the ranks and become main event stars and, and fill those slots uh, where just a few months earlier they, they weren't. And I think one, you're one of those cases, and, and we've seen just over the last year, you move from you know lower in the card, middle of the card, top of the card. Um, can you talk a bit about that? I mean, what that says about Ring of Honor's approach to stuff? I mean, are, there there's a, a lot of wrestling companies that just talk about creating opportunity, but in Ring of Honor, it, it feels, uh, again, like they really put their money where their mouth is. I feel like it it's a place where actual hard work is rewarded. Um, it doesn't go unnoticed when somebody's trying hard or when somebody's doing or making right moves. Uh, I like to believe I got to where I am because not only did I, I, I work my ass off, but it was noticed and people saw it and it became undeniable. Um, and I think that goes with a lot of people in Ring of Honor. 
Am I answering the right question, or did I get distracted? Oh, absolutely. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. In, in the, the locker room, is there a concern when an Adam Cole uh, uh, disappears, when Kyle O'Reilly, the Bobby Jones, and these guys who, you know, were were increasingly important parts of the company, they're all gone, right? One fell swoop. Um, or is that attitude of, you know, take it in stride, is that shared by the wrestlers themselves in the locker room? I don't think anybody was concerned. Uh, the only concern I really had when those three guys left was selfishly, I'm losing three of my good friends, mm-hmm. and now these trips are not going to be as fun as I once thought they were. Uh, on the other hand, they didn't. They, the company didn't rest on their shoulders. They were great players in the in the in the world of Ring of Honor, and they made our product very strong. But we've got a locker room full of amazing talent, and this is a chance for other people to really step up and take the ball and keep running with it. Yeah, yeah. Are, are you feeling more of that on your shoulders? I mean, is, does does a switch kind of go where where you realize one day, oh, I'm I'm one of the top guys here? <sighs> yeah, I, I guess I never really. I never really thought about it with pressure. Uh, I've always looked at each show the same way. I, I never wanted to go out there and phone it in. I never wanted to go out there and give less than what I'm capable of. And um, so, I mean, if you believe I'm one of the top guys, uh, I'm not going to approach it any different than I have in the past. I'm just going to continue to try to be better and better at what I am. What was there for you a a night or uh, uh, in a, a moment, kind of tipping point, where you realized you had broken through to another level? That what? That you that you kind of reached another level in, in Ring of Honor, whether it was a crowd reaction, a certain match, or something that uh, again you you felt something changing. I mean. Each one continues to get better. I, I'm still shocked that I, I I'm perce- received as well from the from the fans as I am. Uh, I don't think I'll ever get tired of that or be unsurprised. Once I once I stop getting surprised by that, um, then then I think it's on. I'm going to be down. It's going to all be downhill from there. Um, one night in particular, I remember. I think we were in. Yeah, I don't remember the uh, the exact city, but it was an All Stars versus Champions match, and there were two injuries, so the main event had to be switched, and they made the announcement on uh, who was going to be filling the two open slots right before the show started. And when they announced that I was going to be put into that match, the the reception I heard from the crowd was beyond what I could expect. Usually when you take your main eventers out and you put somebody else in, it's like, ah, we paid tickets to see that guy and now he's not performing. But it was the opposite and that stuck with me big time. That made me feel like I I am onto something. I I am I do belong here. This isn't just a a a one one shot or uh, I don't know. Yeah, one hit wonder, but in wrestling, right? <laughs> Did you feel like that moment also was kind of a wake up call for for management and, and decision makers, Ring of Honor as well, and hearing that 
that reception to the fans saying, oh, we, we might have something here. I hope so. Yeah. I I don't know if that was it. I mean, I would hope it happened before then. I mean, it obviously had to happen before that because they trusted me enough to fill that slot. Right. Yeah. So I'd like to them to hear those reactions and then think we should give them all the money. <laughs> yeah. Just hand them over to the other gate. <laughs> they all came to give them give them all the money. Give them all the boys. <laughs> keep them happy. That's all I want them to say. So it, it, inevitably, when when I'm talking to a guy from Ring of Honor who, or, or any uh, uh, non WWE talent who is kind of rising through the ranks, the question comes up: you know, what's the interest there? And and maybe with you in particular, because uh, again, that there there's so much of the the quote unquote sports entertainment kind of quotient in in Dalton Castle in your character. A lot of people would see it and say, "Okay, the natural fit for WWE." And he, he gets the showmanship aspect of this uh, business better than than most. So, in in terms of long term goals, is that something you're you're interested? In? Is this, does it go without saying? Or you know, one of the interesting things that's developed in the last couple of years is that there have been a number of talents, your your heavyweight champion included, um, that have proven that you don't need WWE to to um, uh, make a lot of money and uh, be a star in this business. So, what what is kind of the future hold in store for you? Well, I think our uh, I think you're talking about Cody. He's yeah. a unique case in that he came from WWE. He's, obviously, yeah. he's been yeah he's been on that side of the fence. Uh, I think everyone's going to always have that grass is greener uh, on the other side of the fence feeling um, until you experience it for yourself. But also, who's to say I would be happy there? I don't know what's going to make me happy. I, and I, these are answers I'll never be able to answer. Until uh, until I'm presented with something along the lines of that, or, or until I'm forced to make a decision. Um, right now, I'm not exactly discussing uh, the status of my my contract or the details, but at the moment, I'm pretty happy. So I don't really plan that far in advance. So if you're asking me where I'm going to be in two years, uh, I don't know. Yeah, consciously or or subconsciously, do you go out there thinking? Um, and I guess I could only ask this about you as going to say to do wrestlers, but I guess you don't speak for yourself. But 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 is it in the back of your mind how how what I do plays in WWE? You know, WWE watching, being aware, uh, doing doing things that that maybe they might appreciate and like and avoiding things that they wouldn't like? No, absolutely yeah, not. Not at all. I, I don't I don't care what anybody care uh I don't care what anybody thinks about me outside of the ones who matter and the first people that matter are the fans and the second people are the ones who pay my salary. Yeah. And after that, uh it's all about what do I want? What do I think is right? What what is what is going to make me happy? What is going to be entertaining to me and uh, make me feel like I'm doing something that I'm proud of? Yeah, yeah. All right, man. This is a pleasure. It's a good time. Hopefully, we can do it again. Uh, likewise.